from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading comes from Psalm 49, verses 1 through 12. Please turn with me to page 638 of the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Hear this, all you peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the harp. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of my persecutors surrounds me. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Truly, no ransom avails one's life. There is no price one can give to God for it. For the ransom of life is costly and can never suffice. That one shall live on forever and never see the grave when we look at the wise, they die, fool and dolt perish together, and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they name their lands their own, mortals cannot abide in their pomp. They are like the animals that perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, George. Well read. Our gospel lesson this morning is from Luke, as the lectionary has been keeping us in Luke for some weeks. This reading is from chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Hear again God's word for you and for me. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then Jesus told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store all these crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to the man, you fool. This night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. God, sometimes we're surprised at your word, and in those moments, perhaps we need to hear you most. 
Let this parable speak a new word to us today that we might be prepared to serve, to love, to give. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is our last of the summer sermon series on Jesus' teachings from Luke's Gospel. And if you've been here or have followed along on one of our broadcast options, we've read together the parable of the Samaritan and heard the command to love God and neighbor. We read together the story of Mary and Martha and were invited to sit at Jesus' feet to be renewed for our work of loving God and neighbor. And today, Jesus' parable challenges us to consider what exactly we're preparing for in our lives. Specifically, what are we accumulating? What is our priority? Where is our trust? Are we working for ourselves or for God and neighbor? Now, I feel like I need to disclaim this early and say this is not some surprise early opening of the annual giving campaign. I am not going to ask for your money at all today. But this teaching from Jesus is about wealth. It is about material possessions and where we place our trust. So when Jesus calls the farmer in the parable rich, he isn't being metaphorical or poetic. This is not a farmer who's rich in spirit or rich in love. This is a person who has a lot of stuff, specifically a lot of crops. And in the first century, crops were wealth. So as much as we don't like to talk about money and possessions, and I include myself in that group, this lesson is for us today. It comes as Jesus has been teaching a crowd, and someone calls out and interrupts him with what is really a demand. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. This might sound familiar to parents or siblings. It sounds a lot like, make my brother share, make my brother give me some. Or it might remind us of Mary and Martha in the story we read just a couple of weeks ago when Martha comes to Jesus and says, tell my sister she has to help me with this work. We can assume this interrupter is a younger brother not because he sounds whiny, but because inheritance laws in the first century gave the whole estate to the oldest son, and he was then supposed to distribute portions to younger brothers. But this man's older brother hasn't done that, and we don't know why. Maybe because he wanted to keep it all for himself. Maybe it was a lot of hassle, paperwork and all that. But for whatever reason, this brother thinks he is due, and he takes his complaint straight to Jesus. Now, Jesus responds to him as he does most of the time in the Bible when someone comes to complain to Jesus about someone else. Jesus declines to get into the fray and instead uses this as a teaching moment for the younger brother. He answers him with a no-holds-barred caution against greed. Jesus says, take care Be on your guard against greed because one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, we all have a sense of what greed means in this room, but this particular word, the Greek word pleonexia, has a character of insatiableness, avarice, covetousness. 
There are other words in Greek that are translated as greed, but this one has the quality of always wanting more, never being satisfied. It's interesting that we don't know any background to this questioner of Jesus. We don't know what he already has. We don't know how he was dressed when he called out, whether he's already rich or not. We don't know what the inheritance is that he wants so badly, land, money, crops, the family pottery, what have you. It doesn't matter to Jesus. When Jesus hears this fuss, it doesn't matter to him what the inheritance is or why the younger brother doesn't have it. Jesus uses that moment to caution the man and us against the pursuit of more because the value of our lives is not found in possessions. And to underscore this danger of putting the pursuit of more first in our lives, Jesus does what he often does. He teaches with a parable. If you look in your pew Bible or any study Bible, there's a little heading that's been inserted far after the fact that calls this the parable of the rich fool. Yet the farmer in the parable has done what farmers do. He has grown crops and his land has produced abundantly so well, in fact, that the barns he had couldn't hold all of his crops. So the farmer asks himself, and only himself, mind you, more on that in a minute, what he should do with all this extra produce he has. And he decides that the thing to do is to tear down the barns he has in order to build bigger barns and to save all of his crops for himself. And he's pretty happy with that decision. But then in a surprise for a parable, God enters the scene. God speaks and God calls the man a fool. Not good, not bad, not even greedy, but a fool. Why? Because the man's life is demanded of him. And when one's life is demanded, accumulated stuff won't make a bit of difference. Now, scholars disagree about what this means, that his life is demanded. Some think it means the farmer is literally about to die, that his time has come. Some think that it means he's being called to a new life, a new way of life, as with disciples and prophets and followers. But either way, his accumulated crops and his bigger barns won't bring him life. Now, we should always listen when God speaks, and particularly when God says something that surprises us or maybe even is harsh to our ears, like calling someone a fool. But even if God hadn't called the farmer a fool, this parable would speak directly into our lives today because we are like that farmer. We live in a material world. We're trying to plan for the future, and we're also at risk of missing God's command and placing our priority in the wrong place. In fact, this farmer, while he's been successful by every possible measure, has left God out of his planning entirely. Listen again to how self-referential this farmer is. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, didn't check with God, what should I do? For I have no place for my crops. I will pull down my barns. I will store my goods, and I will say to my soul, you're good. 
You have ample goods stored up so you can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But in leaving God out of his plans, the farmer has missed the opportunity to be generous, to love God by loving his neighbor. It's almost an absurd decision to our ears, isn't it? He has barns, perfectly good barns as far as we know. They're full. His crop has been big enough that he has enough for today and well into his own future. And yet, instead of any gratitude for his plenty, instead of sharing some with others, the farmer decides that he should tear down those good barns and spend more resources to build bigger ones, to hold crops far beyond what he needs for now and the future. And he seems so pleased with himself, this bigger barns decision, that he has a kind of imaginary conversation congratulating himself. You heard it. He's making a plan that once this is done, he'll say to himself, soul, you have plenty. He's planning to enjoy the pleasures of food and drink and not work so hard anymore. Never does he give a thought to sharing this abundance with those whose work helped produce it or with neighbors who might need it. He stored up all these riches just for himself, offering nothing to God or neighbor. Now the farmer's also a fool because he seems to think he gets the credit for all of this goodness he's enjoying. He never thanks God for God's provision for him. He doesn't think about the seeds that grew into these crops or the sun and water and soil that were necessary for them to grow. He doesn't think that other people labored to plant the seeds and gather the food in and even to build those barns. His plans for his abundance have no roots in gratitude. So we see that this farmer has missed the basic truth that we confess today that God is the giver of all good things. Yet you heard me say a few minutes ago that when God calls the man a fool, he isn't called bad or wicked. And in fact, he's doing something that we in our world encourage. He's planning. He's saving for the future, which is a good and responsible thing. I bet if we took a poll in this room, every single person would say, yes, it's a good idea to save for the future. And I bet that every person would say, yes, we are all in agreement that greed, that want of more, the pursuit of possessions is bad. So where does that leave us? There's no question that it takes some measure of money to survive, to eat, to be clothed, to have shelter. There's no question that in our world, the disparity is vast between those whose wealth is so big that they couldn't ever spend it and those who struggle to live each day. It is also certain that money cannot buy us love, dignity, relationship with God, or the peace of Christ. And as we heard in the psalm that George just read, it cannot insulate us from death or buy us meaning or joy. The psalmist in Psalm 49 reminds us that whether we're low or high, rich or poor, we all stand before God. 
So the psalmist is lamenting because some people around him who happen to be very rich are tormenting him and they're boasting to him about how much they have and they've placed all their trust in their wealth. He's feeling over it. But his comfort comes because he is placing his trust in God. The psalmist is able to withstand this torment because he knows that no matter how rich those people are, they cannot secure their own lives. And in the end, they can't save themselves from death. Not with money, not with possessions, not with power. So the psalmist clings, as we do, to the promise that if he places his trust in God and not riches, God will hold his soul forever. That is the farmer's folly. That is why he's called a fool. He has not entrusted his soul to God, but to the abundance of possessions he has stored up for himself. So this story has some very poetic bookends. The parable begins with the younger brother who comes to a spiritual leader wanting him to justify his desire for more. And God who's telling someone who has far more than he needs that he's put his trust in the wrong place by pursuing that more, and he's left rich in things and poor in soul. A lot of sermons about this parable, including one of my own from years ago that I dug up this week, get sort of caught up or even tripped up in trying to identify how much material stuff is too much. So where's the line between responsible planning and greedy hoarding? Or in trying to find ways with our behaviors to balance out our materialism so that we don't become the farmer. But friends, I believe this parable cannot be reduced to a pithy to-do list. Like, be more grateful. Or give more away because you can't take it with you. I recalled this cartoon that some of you may have seen. I think it ran in the New Yorker. And it shows a sort of bedraggled and weary priest standing forlorn as a hearse drives by pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> and the priest says, I tried to tell him he couldn't take it with him, but he never listened. I don't think we can reduce this parable to that. It isn't just an instruction to clean out your closet or Marie Kondo your life. Yes, we should be more grateful. Yes, we are commanded to be generous as we live out our love for our neighbor. And yes, we cannot take it with us. But Jesus' caution before he tells the parable is to be on our guard against greed. This lesson is about greed. Greed is a paradigm for life in which we're wired to want more and to put our energies and our focus on pursuing more. It's a paradigm that leaves us trusting in the wrong things, in things and money for happiness, and putting them ahead of our relationship with God. So Jesus cautions us against greed, and God calls the farmer a fool, not because we don't need any material things in order to live, we do. The farmer's a fool, because his pursuit of more is his priority. He staked his very life on the things he has prepared 
for himself. And in the end, that abundance separated him completely from God and neighbor. That, friends, I'm going to use a word that gives us a shiver, that is idolatry. Putting our want for more ahead of God, letting it replace our relationship with God, greed is idolatry. We don't have to look far for examples of it. We see excess. We see self-obsession. We see wealth that doesn't add any meaning. I bet you all could rattle off news stories and people you know who always want more and yet are never fulfilled. If we're honest, it's probably somewhere in our own experience too. Gathering up more, even when it's not adding meaning to our lives. I only have to walk into my own garage to feel convicted because I'm wired to pursue things and then to hold on to them long after I need them, long after they've stopped bringing any joy. Money and possessions are seductive. They deceive us into thinking that they hold goodness, and so if we have more of them, we will have more goodness. And if we're listening, some of the loudest voices in our world today put wealth above everything else, even telling us that our worth as human beings depends on how much we have or how much we don't have. If we're not careful, we can be fooled into thinking that we can make our lives more valuable with more stuff, that we can secure our futures but today we remember that only God can do that. No matter what we accumulate, it will not lengthen our lives. It will not connect us with other people or make us into a community. And most of all, it will not make us rich toward God. So today we won't go down that rabbit hole of trying to find some non-existent line that defines how much material wealth is okay responsible even if we want it to be and how much it veers into folly. Instead, I think we're called to ask ourselves the question God asks the farmer. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? As we work, earn, save, gather up possessions, as we plan for our future, do we do all of that for our own comfort? Have we allowed the pursuit of more to displace God in our lives, leading us down a path where we no longer see our own need or God's bountiful provision or even the promise that life comes to us only through Jesus Christ? Or today, can this parable reorient us toward the kind of relationship with our Lord that money can't buy? This is a time of preparation, after all. In our church, in our lives, it's the beginning of a new school year. Our church is about to call new staff and start new ministries. We're living into a new way of being governed with people answering individual gift-led calls. We're planning for the future of this campus and ministry that will happen after many of us are no longer here and we're always planning in our individual lives. So as we do all of that, what are we accumulating? What are we preparing? 
And is it for ourselves alone, or is it an expression of our gratitude? Because friends, gratitude and greed are incompatible. So as we move into a new year, may this parable give us the courage to take stock in honesty and with humility of all that we hold. And remember that we didn't create it alone. May this parable challenge us to check ourselves wherever greed has a foothold in our lives, wherever it has become more prominent, more important, and more of our time than our relationships. May we choose to elevate here in this community a different set of values than those we see in the world, not valuing people based on their wealth, not building up excess, not judging others, not being obsessed with ourselves, but valuing love, dignity, every person, and welcome, remembering that every single one of us needs God's provision. May we look toward a future that is not secured by anything we own, but by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may all the things we prepare be in his name and for his sake. Amen. putting our relationship with God before all else and modeling for the world the welcome we know in God's bountiful provision of grace. As we go, may we go with courage and confidence because the grace and peace of that same Lord dwell in our hearts and guide our steps today and forever. Amen. Mm -hmm.